right. Any other kids or kids workers, you can make your way out that way. I love the next generation. I love what God's doing in the next generation. And I uh, love to be a church that is excited about what God is doing in the next generation. Hey, just join me again as we pray for a moment. Let's just ask the Lord to help us. Jesus, we are uh, not so foolish as to think that we've got all of this uh, in and of our own strength. And so we just pause right now to say, even as we have worshipped you, and even as we have celebrated new life in you, we would also just invite you, Holy Spirit, to lead us in the preaching of your word. God, help your word to come alive in our hearts and lives today. I pray this would be a special month for us as we uh, process some important uh, commitments together. I pray that you would cause us to grow, that you would stretch us. So Lord, even right now, across this room, we need to receive from you. We receive your character. We receive your direction, your correction. We receive your daily grace. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. We are the recipients of unmerited favor and boundless, costly grace. So as we get our hearts ready for the communion table here in a few moments, Lord, we just want to pause on that reality and just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So we're going to celebrate communion at the end of the service today. And uh, we want to invite anyone that is here. Uh, if you have a relationship with Jesus, doesn't matter what church or background you're from, uh, we would love for you to be a part of our communion celebration. And if you missed the announcement earlier, we have the stations up here at the front of the room. And uh, so at the end of the service, we'll just invite you to come up and, and partake in that together today. If you are not in Christ today, in other words, you don't have a relationship with Jesus or you don't know what that means, um, the Bible actually says don't take communion because you're essentially acknowledging a sacrifice that you haven't yet received. Um, but we don't say that as a prohibition. We actually see that as a wonderful invitation. And today we hope you hear that invitation of Jesus saying, hey, the finished work of Christ is for you. The broken body of Christ is for you. The shed blood is for you. And uh, so that's what we're celebrating today as we celebrate communion. And uh, if today is the day that you are ready to say, hey, I need to, to get on that and, and get in that, in that, uh, in that process, uh, the Lord has good work for you today. So we're glad that you're here. Uh, I want to just begin uh, our message today with a bit of a, an illustration. So you probably remember that last month, the football world was interrupted with the near death of Damar Hamlin. I even used that as a little example in a different message. Uh, he suffered a cardiac incident that shook players and coaches and fans and, and sort of sparked this unapologetic call to prayer. I mean, this is really sort of rare. I have not seen public calls to prayer the way that I did over this particular incident. Maybe in my life, uh, there were several powerful stories that actually emerged from this near tragedy. And so one of them was uh, the charity. How many of you know about DeMar Hamlin's uh, toy drive charity? So you, you, many of you heard that story. So they had this goal to raise $2,500, and I think the last count was well over $8 million that had been raised uh, for this, this charity. And it was fascinating to me to kind of step back and say, you know, people love generosity, there is something inspiring about being able to say, hey, this matters. This is a person's life maybe on the line and an opportunity to do something. What can we do? And people who oftentimes were perfect strangers said, well, we want to we give. We want to give money uh, and, and use that as a way to say we want to be a blessing to somebody else. 
And while some people were cynical about it, I mean, I did read an article recently that they were in the comment section. People said, yeah, uh, probably a lot of people trying to get their last-minute tax donations in. I was like, and, and that got like all dislikes. We are like, boo, you know, you know, quit raining on the parade. Uh, one person said, like, at Toy Drive, you know, why not we just, let's just give the kids Porsches at this point, you know, if you have that much money. Um, but the, the, the grand majority uh, expressed the fact that they were moved by this collective outpouring of generosity. Uh, There is something embedded in the human heart. Uh, You are made in the image of God, and God is more generous than we probably have any capacity to fully understand. And made in the image of God, we are are wired in such a way that when we see acts of generosity, it's still, even as cynical as the world can be, it still causes us to to stop and to take notice and oftentimes to appreciate generosity when we see it. We are dedicating the month of February to a series called Generous Living. And what I want to try to take you through is what I'm calling an unapologetic look at this important aspect of discipleship. We're going to talk about giving We're going to talk about stewardship. We're going to talk about tithing. We're going to talk about a lot more. We're going to look at Old Testament as well as New Testament, Old Covenant as well as New Covenant passages of Scripture. Today, we're actually going to start uh, with the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6, which really works well because we've just come through the, the Gospel of Matthew, and many of you read through the entire book as we were preaching through that. And so you'll be familiar with some of these teachings of Christ. And then I also want to take you to what I'm calling sort of a parallel heart passage Uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, Again, we're going to be sort of deliberate uh, with that. But today we're going to just simply talk about generosity begins with the heart. Uh, In other words, if if we get it there at that level, God, I think, has incredible adventure, incredible things in store for us that he will unfold. But if the heart is not moved and if our heart is not in the right place in the spirit of generous living, uh, the rest will not follow. And so we're going to begin with the heart Uh, Today And I think this message will set the foundation for some exciting things for us. So I want you to read with me in Matthew chapter 16, 19 to 24. I'm going to actually focus on 19 to 21, but then we'll also read verse 24 to get us started. So Matthew 6, uh, 19 and following. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That's the words of Jesus. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think that's a fascinating place for us to start because as I look at this, I see this kind of inverse relationship that Jesus begins this teaching with. This last thought actually bears a lot of reflection. It's so simple and yet it is so profound. You can't serve both God and money. It's as if he is saying this, that one of these pursuits will cause an inverse effect on the other. 
So in other words, I mean, to make it as plain and simple as we can, if you make it your life ambition to say, I want to be rich, I want to get money, I'm chasing that almighty dollar, you are going to struggle in your ability to love God well. Isn't that fascinating? And yet, the person that you see or know, people that you will think of even throughout this message today, and you're going to say, man, I, I know people that are just like that. I know people that are wildly generous that you will often find that these are also people who love God really well. So we begin with this kind of heart check. Um, let, me give you a, let me give you a little, uh, admin, uh, little admission here. I was feeling some real anxiety uh, over this message and over this series, actually. And it's not like uh, stage fright anxiety. I do get a little nervous sometimes still. I get in front of you guys a lot. But I, I, I get nervous sometimes, but that, that's not what I was feeling. I was feeling this kind of unsettledness or this anxiousness in my own heart or spirit, and I was trying to pray about, okay, God, what am I sensing as we're approaching this subject? Because I 100% believe that stewardship is a part of discipleship. So if you want to follow Jesus to talk about stewardship or, or those who would say, you shouldn't talk about money in the church or things like that, I just completely disagree with that. Uh, we don't talk about it all the time, but it's part of life, and therefore it's part of discipleship and following Jesus. So that's not it. But what was I feeling with this anxiety? Well, the fact of the matter is, there are some subjects that are so deeply rooted in the human experience, and I would even just say in the human heart. Uh, and it's not just money. I mean, money is one of those subjects. Sex is another one of those subjects. Power is another one of those subjects. That it's very difficult to address the subject without feeling some level of call to adjustment. But the adjustment is not simple. The adjustment is with roots that oftentimes go down so deep that it's almost like when you're in the, the, the dentist chair. I, I, spent a lot of time, I spent a lot of time in the dentist chair. That's why I give a lot of examples. My father-in-law loves me well and knows my teeth intimately. Uh, my father-in-law's a dentist. Uh, but, you know, it's something when you're dealing with the surface that's kind of quick and easy. And when you're dealing with something that's down deep that's like, there's no way getting through this without feeling it in sort of a different way. And so even approaching the subject, I feel the reality that there are those probably already that are sort of like, oh man, don't go, don't talk about this. I don't want a whole month talking about money and stuff like that. And so you, you may not be showing it on the outside, but you, you kind of cross your arms and say, just wake me up when this thing is over, right? Um, I realize that that can be part of that reality. It's deeply rooted. But, uh, so this is the other piece of it. Because it's deeply rooted, these topics, uh, money, power, sex, and probably many others, are also areas, uh, can be areas of deep pain. This is where corruption often happens, you know, the brokenness of, of humanity. So when you use the ugly word abuse, it is often over these kind of subjects, right? And yet... There is also, when understood properly and exercised properly, incredible blessing in all of these subjects. And none of them uh, are beyond the call of Christ toward discipleship. And so that's why we say, really, without apology, we're going to go there. Uh, and and it is, uh, this is the other piece that I recognize as I was kind of praying through. Uh, this is very much a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle and it's a spiritual exercise because God desires for you to represent him as a generous individual. You know what I mean? There is something in the heart of Christ expressed through you 
in generosity that very much honors God. The enemy of your soul doesn't want that. And so it's a spiritual battle that we step into, but it's an important one for kingdom people. So in that spirit, and again, today what I hope to do is really just kind of set the framework with a couple key concepts for you. Uh, but let's, let's do this, just a little heart check, especially if you consider yourself a kingdom person. I was thinking about these kind of questions. As a kingdom person, what would I give to Jesus? And that's a little bit of a tricky question. I'm not sure exactly what he needs, right? You know what I mean? So what, do I, what would I give to Jesus? How would I honor Jesus with my life? Maybe more tricky and a little closer to my heart and maybe yours as well. What would I withhold from Jesus? You know, like this is the, this is, it's frightening to ask these kind of questions because when we come to a place of surrender, the scary part is that we're saying, we don't know exactly what he's going to ask of us. What is he going to ask you to sacrifice? What is he going to ask you to do that wasn't necessarily in your plan? So we ask these kind of questions. What would I give? What would I withhold? And, and again, here's a, just a cool thing about these questions. Let me just, I'm going to take a couple little surveys with you today. Just take your pulse. How many of you would say, I have made a sacrifice of some kind for Christ that scared me to death, and I was glad that I did it? You say, I was scared to death to do it, but I was glad that I did I took a faith-filled risk, and it scared me to death, but I was glad that I did it. So raise your hand up nice and high, just so we'll encourage one another a little bit. So a lot of people that are here would say, you know, I've experienced that reality. That's important for us as the Lord messes with our inner life, okay? It's good to know. Uh, here's, the, here's the other just sort of pulse question I want to ask you. It's the third kingdom question. In the area of generous living... Do I still have room to grow? Raise your hand if you would say, uh, yes, I do. Okay, good. That's reassuring, right? Because if I'm saying, if, if nobody raised their hand, I would just probably say, well, okay, then you got it. You can teach me and uh, we'll go forward. But I, I sense in my spirit, listening to the Lord, that he's saying, no, this is good. This is good for us. And we're going to go after this together. But in the area of generous living, sure, we still have room to grow. Uh, today, we're just going to keep it, in some ways, very simple. But some of these things will be very profound, uh, I think, and helpful for you. Uh, the simplicity is this. Gener generosity begins in your heart. Uh, it's just not about your wallet. It's not about your bank account. Uh, in fact, people have said things like, you know, money is such a tricky thing. Because all it's really going to do when you get it is it's going to emphasize the character that you already have. Okay. So if your heart is in the wrong place and you don't understand generous living you don't understand gratitude you don't understand some of these concepts that we're going to talk about today uh, money is not going to make you uh, generous it's not going to make you a good steward it will probably simply emphasize the things in your life that are already there okay so generosity begins in the heart and and to illustrate this with you keep in mind the teachings of what jesus said we just read his uh, in the gospel of matthew where your treasure is there your heart will be also and what I want to do with that kind of as a background is to take us all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. And I want to look at God's interaction with his people. Because here's what we're going to see throughout this whole series. We're going to see Old Testament, New Testament, that this idea of generosity and generous living being close to the heart of God and should be close to the heart of God's people. This is not simply a new covenant thing or simply an old covenant thing. This is all throughout scripture. And so I want you to take a look at this in, in Deuteronomy 15 with me. Let me give a little bit of uh, props or credit where it's due. Uh, how many of you have read um, Robert Morris' book, The Blessed Life? Has anybody read that? Okay. 
So I'm, I'm going through that and going through, several of you have not. Okay, interesting book. Uh, it, it's one of those ones, it's, it's kind of rearranging some deep things in my heart and making me go, ah, you know, I mean, it's, it's challenging me, but I'm, I'm kind of embracing uh, that challenge. So one of the things that he talks about in that book is this idea that if we're going to get our hearts right and we look at the people of God and how God wanted to get their hearts right first in this area of generosity, so you're going to have to deal with a selfish heart. You're going to have to deal with what he calls a grieved heart, or what I would call today a begrudged heart. That's in reference to like envy and reluctance. And then what are we going to develop? We've got to develop a generous heart. That's a process that we go through, and we're going to develop a grateful heart. And so over this series, we're going to kind of unpack some of those things. But today, I want you to see this from God's heart to his people in such a powerful way in Deuteronomy 15. If you know the passage, this is about the year of Jubilee. How many of you know what the year of Jubilee is? Okay, seventh year, all the debts are forgiven. So there's not going to be any of this generational indebtedness. What every seven years, uh, the the debts are forgiven. Uh, no predatory lending allowed because if, if you get people that owe you a whole bunch of money, whatever, seventh year for God's people, the, the debts are going to be forgiven. That's what God is unpacking to his people in Deuteronomy chapter 15. It's this year of Jubilee. And it, he says a couple things that, that uh, directly relate to the heart of his people. And so you can see some things unfolding here that are very instructive for us today. Number one, we see that they are called to deal with a selfish heart. Look at verse 9 of Deuteronomy 15. He says, Do not harbor this wicked thought. And you say, Whoa, what's the wicked thought that he's talking about? Okay, the wicked thought is this Year of Jubilee is coming. Year of Jubilee means my debts are going to be canceled, and the people who owe me are also going to be canceled. So the wicked thought was, don't say to yourself, this is a bad time to be generous because I might not get it back. That's, that's the idea. Year of Jubilee is coming. Don't, I, and the natural inclination of the selfish heart is to say, well, I don't know if I want to be generous right now or help my brother or my sister right now because those debts are going to be canceled. And so we've got to deal with a selfish heart. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. Now, I love the fact that even back in, the, back in the day, it was commonly understood that to live out a life of generosity meant that you're going to have to look at your own heart. And you're going to have to look at the natural selfishness that is there for every single person, every person who has ever been born, is born with a selfish heart. The natural bent of the human heart is toward selfishness. When we are born again in Christ, he begins to put a new thing in us, a new representation of a generous heart. Now, this is the other piece that's very interesting, that what we'll see throughout this series and what we see in the Israelite people back in Deuteronomy is that giving and the process of giving is not for God. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, God has cattle on a thousand hills. He's got resources beyond measure. He's the one we look to uh, for resourcing. Your giving is not for God. Your giving is actually for you. It's part of the way that you step out of a naturally bent, selfish heart is learning what it is to be generous. And so there's something that God does for you. Now, I need to stop here, and I need to give just a couple of 
I think, really important foundational sort of concepts for you. If you'll just indulge me in this. One of the reasons that we become cynical, and some of you are already there. Some of you are saying, I don't like this subject. I don't like that you're talking about it or whatever. You are there. You are feeling cynical for a good reason. The good reason is that usually when somebody stands up in front of people and talks about how the benefits of generosity in your life are going to bless you, it's going to be so good, it's going to help you out. If you learn to be generous, you have learned that what they really mean is, I've got a bottom line that I'm trying to meet to help this church stay afloat, and if you all don't give, we're going to be in trouble. So you feel cynical. I want to ask you to consider this today that there are three lenses, there's probably more, but I'm going to ask you to look at three lenses through which we can view generosity. The first is for you. The first is that lens that just says, I am a better disciple of Christ when my heart is formed in a generous and Christ-like way. I reflect him better. I am better. There is a blessing that comes when I learn to be walking in that. So that is very true. But there is also a corporate lens that we look around and we say, yes, when we individually exercise good stewardship, the church collectively finds itself in a place, this is how I would describe it to you today, I would say the church is fully funded and missionally uninhibited. And I want to say unapologetically, that is not a bad thing. That's a really good thing. I mean, seriously, just for a moment, imagine with me, we're going to do a lot of dreaming in this series, but imagine with me, every church you've heard of, every church you know of, every church you've visited is fully funded, missionally uninhibited. What kind of kingdom impact is that going to make in that particular community? What kind of impact is that going to make in this community? It's always sad to me. You know, when I'm visiting churches and they, they, you hear this lament of like, well, we just don't have enough and we can't keep the doors open and we can't keep the lights on and we can't keep, take care of the staff. And we, you know, that's a very sad place to be. So I want to say without apology, uh, it's very important that we get this, that yes, the stewardship call for you and me is an individual one, but collectively for we is part of the deal. And it's a good part of the deal. That's why we don't apologize for it. And then there's a third lens as well. So personal lens, corporate lens, missional lens, Right? What happens when the world, who's not in the church, not part of the ecclesia, not part of the called out ones, sees generous living in your life? What happens when people who are not part of the church sees a church that's actually making an impact in their community and striving to help those that are in need? Well, then you get an, a, a great witness. So there is a personal lens, there is a corporate lens, there is a missional lens. And I share that with you because I think what I'm trying to do is maybe try to dispel a little of the cynicism that has and will naturally creep in when you say, we get what you're trying to do. I'm trying to tell you very clearly, this, this is what I'm trying to do. I want you to see it through those lenses. Uh, one other piece, just foundational, I think is very helpful. In this series, what we are talking about is biblical stewardship. That includes, among other things, planning wisely, giving generously, stewarding well what it does not include is a cynical or skeptical selfishness that says i will not give so i said a moment ago you're there for a good reason perhaps but don't let that be the reason that you stay ungenerous god wants you to step out of cynicism and selfishness i've been there and step into biblical stewardship and there's another thing that we're not talking about we're not talking about giving so that you can get more um, man, 
there is a there is a subtle twist on this idea that God loves to bless when we give. And I believe that God does love to bless. And we're going to talk probably a lot about what does that actually mean? What does that blessing actually look like? The subtle twist comes out in what we call the prosperity gospel. We are not prosperity gospel promoters. I think prosperity gospel is from the pit of hell. If you want me to be blunt, I will. I remember talking to a friend of mine. She was running a business years ago. I went to visit her and she was really struggling. Her business was struggling. She probably wasn't a great businesswoman. She was always trying to give me stuff. And I was like, you gotta, you gotta sell stuff, you know. <laughs> sell, sell to your customers, don't just give, you know. But, but she had a heart of gold and, and, and she was struggling to keep this little business running. And she, I remember just her crying to me one day and she just said like, this is just so hard. I don't think I can do it. I'm trying so hard, I'm trying to do all the right things. And I'm praying and I'm asking God for help and I just feel like my business isn't doing well. And, and she said, I heard on the radio just the other day that this pe- preacher said if I send $50 that he was sure that I would, I would get all this kind of stuff back. And so I sent money that I really didn't have, and I was ticked. That's the PG version of how I was feeling in that moment. I was ticked. I was so angry. And I don't know who it was. I don't know who was saying this. But here is this person sort of preying on uh, someone in their place of fear. You know, she's feeling desperate, and she's, she's just wanting something to get ahead, and like, ooh, if I just give this seed of blessing, sow that seed of blessing, you're going to get back all of this kind of stuff. And so, yeah, the, the prosperity gospel works really great for the people who are at the top. They're flying around in jets and doing all kinds of things that really don't look like the ministry of Jesus. I have no problem with people flying in jets. I'm just saying, <laughs> don't quote me on everything I say. I'm doing my best. I think he's anti-jet. I think I think that's the message for today. Uh, I am anti-prosperity gospel. And I think you should be too if you're serious about loving Jesus. Find a better way to understand what does it mean to be blessed when you give. And God may bless you financially. And there's people in this room who will say, don't feel bad if God has done that. But don't give to get. The reason this is so important, again, this is just a foundational piece. I just want to make sure you're hearing me say this. How sad it would be if we come through a series like this or a season like this saying, Lord, help us to be generous people so that we can be a blessing, so that people can see Christ in us, etc. So that your work can thrive. But our motivation is actually saying, well, I, I really am hoping I can give so that I can get. All that that prosperity gospel is doing is leading you right back into a place of selfishness that generosity was originally designed to lead you out of. So we just got to get our heads around it. We got to do business with it. We got to wrestle with it as needed. And we got to deal with a selfish heart because that selfish heart shows up in a lot of different ways. So I'll just say last thing on this first point, uh, and the other points will be shorter, so just hang in there with me. Holiness is not defined by poverty as some cynics might have you believe. Godliness is not defined by wealth as some prosperity gospel folks would have you believe. What we're shooting for is biblical stewardship. So we're gonna, um, that's what we're going to unpack this month. Okay. Deal with a selfish heart. That's part of the deal. Deal with a begrudged heart. And here's what it says in Deuteronomy 15. Give generously. This is sort of lending to your brothers. Year of Jubilee. Uh, someone's in need. Give generously, that it says. And then look what it says here. So, and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in everything you put your hand to. This is awesome. I want to share this point with you in a way I think, I mean, it could be that I'm just so simple that a simple point like this was meaningful to me, but I think this will be meaningful to you as well. 
Before this uh, service started, um, I gave some of you some money, and you were like, why are you giving me this money? I said, just hold on to it, and I'm going to tell you what to do with it. So now, listen up. I'm going to tell you what to do with it. Um, so keep it safe, and then hang on to it. Oh, by the way, Amy, I gave some people some money. <laughs> we have to, we're be, being generous here. Uh, I was going to mention that to her earlier, but... Um, so here, here's what, what I want you to do with it, first of all. I want you to ask God to show you a person that you can bless with that money. My wife is going, how much did you? Okay. <laughs> wasn't tons of money. Gave you a little bit of money. I want you to ask God who you can bless with that little bit of money. Okay? Now, Here's the kind of, here's what I want all of us to sort of understand. Uh, it's not easy to imagine if I had come up to you. I didn't come up to all of you, but I came up to some. If I had come up to you and I said, here, I want you to hold this money for me. Hold this money, hold this money, hold this money. And then I said, I want you to find someone to bless. I could have just as easily said, hey, after the service, I, could you please give it back to me? Either way, you're not going to keep it. The question I want you to ask is this. Does that bother you? Does it bother you if, if I were to say to you, I don't want you to hold on this money for you, I want you to give it and some, somebody else who has a need and, and bless them? Just shake your head if, if you would say, no, that doesn't bother me. Just give me an indication. It doesn't bother me at all. It's like, that's a joy. Somebody gives me money. And so, so here's the thing. I mean, this is, this is don't, you've got to deal with a begrudging heart. Here's how you deal with a begrudging heart. It's actually incredibly simple. You're not going to worry about money that isn't yours right so if i gave you a little bit of money it wasn't yours and you had it and you hold on to it for a little bit and now i'm saying i want you to bless somebody else many you're probably going that's awesome I, i'm looking forward to to being able to do that the bottom line is this it's actually quite simple how do i deal with a begrudging heart if i feel it belongs to me it hurts when i give it like that's it if i actually believe that it belongs to god and i'm a steward of it it's, it's kind of a joy, right? I mean, he says, here, hold on to this for a little while. I'm going to tell you what to do with it. And sometimes he says, I want you to save it. Sometimes he says, I want you to bless somebody else. Somebody says, I want you to be extravagantly, extravagantly generous. Now, it is not going to hurt if you don't think it's yours. Now, here's the thing. It's kind of amazing. What did Jesus say? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the cautionary piece. The more you acquire, the more you amass, the more challenging it can be to say, I don't want to give my heart to that. So we remind ourselves. I don't want to have a begrudging heart. How did the Israelites do it? The Lord's going to bless you as you, as you give. So that's an interesting thing, very helpful to me. Uh, the Lord will bless you. Now we're, going to, we're not going to lean into it a whole lot today. We will throughout the series. Um, what does that mean? What does it not mean? But here's something just to think about. To be able to give joyfully in the way I just described, to be able to give joyfully is in and of itself a blessing, right? I'm not rooted to it. I'm actually able to enjoy the process of giving. That in and of itself is a blessing. So deal with a selfish heart, deal with a begrudged heart, and now we're gonna develop two things. First is we're gonna develop 
a generous heart. So if you, if you flip ahead just a little bit, Deuteronomy 15, 14, now what he's talking about in this year of Jubilee, not just the debts are being canceled, but anybody that is essentially an indentured servant is free. So someone has come to you and said, I'm gonna work for you. That's my way of kind of subsisting right now. You're, uh, you're the boss, I'm following you. At the year of Jubilee, that person is set free. This is very different than more recent versions of human slavery and trafficking and things like this. All the way back in this time, God said, no, 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 we're not gonna do this forever. You're gonna be able to be set free, you know, even if you're in a place that you've indentured yourself to somebody else. And then he says this, when that happens, here's the instruction to his people. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Listen, this idea that like start to think not just about the bare minimum of what I have to do, but developing a generous heart by the Spirit of God to say, what can I do beyond that? Now here's where I want to just take a moment as we had a beautiful experience this morning already thinking about legacy, thinking about next generation and what God is doing. How many of you that are parents or grandparents, how many of you would say, I want my children, I want my grandchildren to be stingy. I mean, if you feel that way, I'd love to just hear where you're coming from. We can talk about it privately. I'm not, I'm not trying to judge. I'm just, I've never heard anybody say that. I've never heard a Christian say that. I've never heard a non-believer say that. What I really hope for my children is that they are greedy, stingy, selfish, like that. That's my hope. Nobody says that. It's fascinating when you start to ask yourself the question, what would I hope to see in my children, in my grandkids? Some of you don't have kids, but you're invested in the next generation. What would you hope to see in the kids that you're invested in in the next generation? That is a really, really powerful question. Now, the the adjoining question is this. We'd love to see our kids be generous. So how are they going to learn right? They're going to learn from, from watching and, and learning and, and processing together. What a joy it would be if, if as a family, right, we said, hey, how are we going to be a blessing to our neighbors? How are we going to reach out? What are we going to do with the things that God has entrusted to us? Like that, you don't have to wait until they're 25, 26 years old to start having those conversations, but begin to model that even now. You begin to ge- uh, develop a generous heart. I was thinking about the uh, Remember that old song, Cats in the Cradle? It's like, my boy was just like me. Right, remember that? It's like, oh, that's like a lament. He'd grown up just like me. Every person that says, I'd love to see generosity in the next generation. I'd love to see generosity in my kid's life and in my grandkid's life. Model it. You don't gotta be braggadocious. You don't gotta broadcast. But model it and say this is an important value. Develop a generous heart. Here's the last one we're going to do, and this is going to take us right to the communion table. Develop a grateful heart. Deuteronomy 15, 15. Here's how he wraps it up. Why are you going to give liberally to these people that you are not obligated to, but you're going to bless them and you're going to look for ways to be generous, develop a generous heart? Here's what he says, verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you That is why I give you this command 
today. It's not a suggestion. It's not an opinion. It's not an idea if you have time. It's a command. I'm calling my people to be a generous people. And I would argue to you that has not changed into the new covenant. In fact, if anything, we've got a whole new level of ways in which God would say, yeah, model it. It's a command that I give you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. I don't know how to say it any better than to invite you to come to the communion table because when we come to the communion table, we are face to face with the reality of what Christ has done for us. You know, this, this will change your mind too. This will change your heart in terms of generosity, especially for those of you that have little kids at home. You know, imagine like your little kid comes to you and they say, Daddy, Mommy, I, I, I made you this peanut butter sandwich. I made you this food or something like that. You know, it wouldn't be sweet. It would warm your heart. Isn't that, isn't that nice? And they say, no, I, I think we're even, right? And you'd be like, you have no idea the, the, the time and the energy and the prayer and the money and the, all the things that, that I have done as a parent to, to care for you. It's like you as a, you, you could go most of the rest of your life and you'd never catch up to the love and the sacrifice that, that a parent has made. Multiply that by infinity and think about the sacrifice of Christ. When you come to the communion table and he says, yeah, I'm calling you to be generous. And, and the old nature is sort of like, you know, we fight that or we, we feel cynical or any, any of those kind of things. And yet think about this. I'm calling you to be generous. And what has Christ done for you? So he says to his people, I, you were slaves in Egypt. The Lord redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. I remember hearing a story about a man that was very generous. He was always finding ways to bless people, always giving, always, always serving, always finding kind of quiet ways to be a blessing. And somebody asked one of his family members, they said, what is the deal with him? He's always just looking for ways to be a blessing to people. How, why, why does he do that? And the answer that they got was this. We think we've come to the conclusion that he has never forgotten his salvation. And that seems to keep motivating him all the time. So, you know, when we talk about generosity, we're going to talk about some practical things, all kinds of good stuff, but start with the heart. That's what we're doing today. We come to the communion table and we look at all that Christ has done for us. And so what I'm going to do is invite our uh, worship team to come up. We've got a few folks that are going to come to the tables and you'll be invited just to come up when you're ready. Uh, come to the table, take the bread and you can break it. There's a two different ways if you'd rather do the intinction where you rip the bread and dip it in the cup and for those that prefer a little less handsy forms, we have the, the little uh, cups there that have the, the cracker and the, the juice. So we're going to invite you to, to the communion table, but right now we would just want to ask you to take a, a few moments, search your heart, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Let me read these words of scripture over you and then this will be your time to celebrate uh, communion together and when you're ready to move. The one thing I would say is that if you are here and mobility is a challenge for you uh, to get around, just please just put up your hand and we will come to you uh, and bring communion to you. So we don't want you to feel like this, make it, we don't want to make it difficult uh, for you to get to the communion table today. So just raise a hand up nice and high uh, if you need someone to come serve you and we would be delighted to do that. Um, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed he took bread and when he gave thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Father, would you stir us right now by your Holy Spirit? Uh, I, I suspect that there's probably some that are here listening to this message, maybe listening online, that would just say, Lord, I need to get my heart in a better place. And I thank you, Jesus, that you do that so well. And as we come to the communion table, we cannot help but be humbled at the level of your sacrifice, the measure of your love. And if our lives would reflect just a a fraction of that generous spirit, I think we would be growing in the right direction. So help us with that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is your time to do some business with the Lord, to wait on him. When you're ready, you can make your way to one of the communion tables. Team, would you lead us?